Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Thank you, Max. Thank you, brother. You guys can have a seat. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, I did the last message in a three-week series, our God and Money series. It was three weeks, um, and I said two weeks ago that that was the last one. That was the plan for that to be the last one. Um, we talked about tithing. Does the Bible command us to tithe? Is that just an Old Testament thing? What does the New Testament say? Does it change in the New Testament? Um, if you didn't hear that, you can go online and, and listen to that. I shared my personal story and, and wrestling with that. Um, but the plan was for that to be the last one. However, if I was honest, and maybe I should have been more honest that day, there was an inkling in my heart on that morning two weeks ago that there was going to be one more. That we were going to add to it. And I wasn't completely sure, so I called it the final because that was the plan. Uh, but by Monday or Tuesday of that week, I realized, you know what? Yeah, we're going to go. We're going to do one more. We're going to do one more. We're going to do one more um, of this God and Money series. There's been a passage, the passage that uh, Max just read, that has been on my heart for a few months. I've, I've just kind of been wrestling with it. It's, I've been kind of fascinated by it, um, challenged by it. And so I thought, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's jump into it. I had a conversation with Justin Garden um, two weeks ago that just kind of confirmed, let's, let's do it. Let's tackle one more. Uh, we also want to have a chance at the end of service to, to have a response time, to, to write down on our Connect cards. Everybody should have gotten two Connect cards. Uh, however, if you missed somehow, if you came in the back door, if you came in super early, uh, put your hand up. Maybe the ushers can, here, Steve, here's a pile. If you can just stick it in the hands of anybody who, who needs it. Um, because one Connect card is if you want to fill it out for email list and prayer request. The other Connect card, however, is for the end of service. So just write down, this is what God's leading me to do, to change to, to rethink in my life. Just, just it's going to be anonymous. We'll write it down. We can drop it in the baskets after service. Because um, I, I, I pray over those. I'm, I, I pray over all the individual cards that we do. Whenever we do one of these exercises, I pray over them individually. We pray over them on our Thursday mornings. Um, so we want to have a chance to respond. It's just kind of like, okay, this is what God has been showing me throughout the series. Now, I want to be clear. Since then, since two weeks ago, since Tuesday, May 9th, when I kind of confirmed we're doing this, one more sermon uh, in this series, um, I've had a number of conversations with some of you guys about financial worries, financial concerns, financial stresses, financial bad news, um, people who are in the middle of, of, of deals that are uncertain, uh, one person's company got sued, um, I mean, just a, a whole host of things, marital tensions, and just a lot. I don't want any of you to think I'm doing this message because of my conversation with you, okay? Sometimes people think, I don't want, 
It, it, it was, I was planning to do this partly on May 7th, and by, by, by May 9th, it was confirmed. Then, conversations with you guys, which only confirmed, hey, money's something we always have to deal with. So I'm going to tackle this one more time. I'm going to do a shorter sermon with this passage, and then there's going to be two testimonies of how God has been at work in two people's lives. One, one recently, where God kind of uh, challenged somebody, and then uh, somebody a, a number of years ago. One of them is going to show that it's never too early. You're never too young to ask God to uh, help you steward your finances. And the other person is going to show it's never too late and your situation is never too far gone to invite God in and to make some changes. So at that, at that, at that, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for preserving your word. Thank you that your revealed word has been preserved for 2,000 years. But I pray, God, that by your spirit, you would illuminate your word so that we can understand it. So that we can perceive what you have to say to us so that it would pierce our hearts in personal ways. Without your spirit illuminating it, it's confusing, it's boring, it's, it's, but with your spirit making it alive, oh, it changes our lives. I pray that for everyone in here, in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's dive into this passage. This is an interesting passage because there's, um, as we saw, a guy comes up to Jesus with a request, and Jesus' response to this guy is not what most of us would expect Jesus to, to say. In fact, if I was the guy asking Jesus for what this guy asked Jesus, I would be a little ticked off at Jesus' response. I'd be a little bothered by it. I would take it personally. Uh, I would feel even falsely accused, maybe. So let's, let's dive into it. So in Luke 12, 13, someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me, or inheritance. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has uh, been doing miracles. Here's a guy who says, ah, maybe he can straighten my brother out. Maybe he can fix my brother. Anybody ever go to Jesus to straighten somebody else out? Would you straighten out my spouse? Would you straighten out my kids? Would you straighten out my parents, my friend? Would you straighten out my pastor? Amen? <laughs> I know you guys pray that. I know you pray that. So that's what we do. We go to Jesus. Would you fix this person? Show them that they're wrong and that I'm, that I'm right. In this guy's particular situation, um, it is uh, presumable that his father died. And it, and it was customary in this time that the older brother would get two-thirds of the estate. The younger brother would get a third. Um, so this is uh, likely the younger brother saying, hey, my brother got the estate. He's not breaking it up. He's not selling off assets. He's not giving me a piece of the inheritance. He's not giving me what I'm entitled to. He's not giving me what I've earned as, a, as, a, as, a, as an heir to this. Would you fix him? Anybody ever been in the middle of a family dispute when somebody dies and inheritance is left? Tends to bring out the, the best in us, doesn't it? I've seen it happen in my extended family, my wife's extended family. Somebody dies, and it comes out. I deserve blank. And then somebody else thinks that they don't deserve blank. Maybe it's my, my mo our mother passed, and I took care of her. 
and you barely did anything. You visited once. So I deserve more of the inheritance than you got. Or my brother has power of attorney, and I think, you know, after my dad died, he, only, he told me that the only 30,000 was left, but I think there's more. I think he's hiding it. Right? These things come out in families. And so this guy feels cheated. He feels like his brother owes him, and so he goes to Jesus to fix his brother. Can you tell him to, to straighten up? Can you tell him to do the right thing? You, you preach about righteousness. You, you preach about justice. Can you, can you tell him to do the right thing? And look how Jesus replied. He said, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Who made me a judge or an arbiter? Another version. Who, who made me judge Judy to deal with trivial things like this? Now, my response, if I was this guy, would be, well, you kind of did. You're, you're, the, you're the Savior. You're the Lord. You're the judge of the universe. Surely you can judge this matter. You, you, you're the Messiah. Aren't you claiming to be the Messiah? You're going to come and usher in this kingdom of righteousness and justice one day? Don't you care about this injustice that's being done to me? Right? I mean, we encourage each other to pray and say, hey, Jesus, fix this. Jesus cares about all the small details of our lives, we say. So why does Jesus seem to want to wash his hands of this one? Why does it seem like he's like, I ain't my business? That seems contrary to how we talk, how I talk, what I encourage you guys to do. Pray about all the little things. And now Jesus is like, nah, not my business. What's going on here? Is it that Jesus doesn't care? The good thing is that we're not left in the dark. He continues. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So this clues us in to what Jesus is up to here. He's pointing out the danger of greed. It's not that he doesn't care about the little details of our lives, but he cares about us getting caught up in greed. But the funny thing is, this is the guy who's being cheated. This is what really got me about the story. This is what I've been kind of wrestling with the last few months. This guy is the one being cheated of money. And you would think, how we tend to think is, it's the guy doing the cheating that's guilty of greed, right? It's the wealthy guy who's guilty of greed, not the poor guy. It's the guy who's doing the cheating that's guilty of greed, not the guy being cheated. It's the guy doing the taking advantage of who's guilty of greed. Not me. I'm being cheated. I'm not getting what I should get. Fix his greed. And Jesus is telling this guy, beware of greed, brother. Watch out for greed. Life's not measured by what you own. You see, I don't think Jesus uh, doesn't care about the small details of this man's life. He cares. He cares about all our small details. And we can pray and ask him and invite him in. And he, he intervenes and he moves he cares about the small details, but what Jesus is after, I think in this case, what he could see in this man's heart, because he's the judge over all things, because he could peer into the human soul and see what's going on there, I think what Jesus could see is that this man was in danger of greed, and Jesus cared more about his freedom from greed than he did about him getting what he thought he was financially entitled to. 
say it again. Jesus cares about our freedom from greed more than he cares about our financial entitlements. What we deserve. How much money we've earned. So while the other brother who is doing the cheating may be wrong, may be guilty of an injustice, and will be accountable to God for that, for sure. Whoever cheats us will be guilty and accountable to God for that. And yet Jesus looks at us and says, hey, but watch out yourself. Beware. Even though you may be cheated, even though you may not be getting what you think you should be getting, you better watch out. You better watch out. This man's biggest need, in other words, wasn't getting the inheritance that he was owed. The man's biggest need, his real need, was being able to let go of it and be content without it. He could see into his heart and he could say, man, you're too worried about money. You're too worried about what's, what's fair. You're too worried about what you've earned. You're too worried about what you're entitled to. It's going to crush you. It's going to steal from you. It's going to choke you out. It's going to steal your peace. It's going to steal your joy. And so you better be more concerned about greed than you are about getting cheated by your brother. Getting cheated by your brother is nothing compared to the danger of greed, in other words. Sometimes we have a lot of money and it reveals our greed and materialism. Sometimes we have little, little money and it reveals our greed and our materialism. And being the good ju judge that he is, Jesus sees into this man's heart. He says, man, this, you have let greed in. He's sleeping on the couch right now. But before you know it, He's going to be going through your fridge. He's going to be getting his way upstairs. And he's going to be in bed with you soon. Sleeping right next to you. Cuddling up right next to you. You better watch out. I, I talked uh, two weeks ago, or the, the first week of this series, how Jesus talked more about the danger of greed and the love of money than he did about, say, sexual immorality. And it's not because sexual immorality isn't important to him. He talked about it. It was important. But... You have to wonder why did he talk so much about the, the danger of money and greed and, and such. And I think it's because it is so sneaky. Like you know when you're messing around with somebody that you're not married to. You often don't know when you're getting choked out by greed. Right? It sneaks in you. It's always so easy to see it in somebody else. But not me. Not me especially when we're feeling cheated or taken advantage of. And notice that Jesus, he says, every kind of greed, every kind, I think there's different kinds. Some people are greedy for stuff, just more stuff. I need to have a nicer house. I need to have uh, a boat. I need to have a better car. Uh, I need to have the newest toys. I need to have the upgraded phone. I need to have the nicest shoes. I need to have this or that. I need stuff. Greedy for stuff, possessions. But then others might be greedy for experiences. I need to go on the nice vacations. I need to go on the cruises. I need to go to the amusement parks. I need to go to the concerts. Always looking for another uh, adrenaline rush. Some are greedy for security. It's a, maybe not about the boats and the fancy houses, but it's about how much I have in savings, how much I have in my 401k, how much I have in the college funds. Makes me feel secure, makes me feel okay. And then for others, it might be the status of wealth. 
I don't want a boat because I care about a boat. I want a boat because it's going to send the message to my family and friends that I made it, that I was successful, that I picked myself up on my bootstrap and I accomplished what I set out to accomplish. This was me in my early 20s, mid-20s. I alluded to this story a couple weeks ago, but um, after I kind of got my money in order, after I was broke and sleeping with cockroaches, um, as I shared two weeks ago, I, I, I got things in order. I got savings accounts, and I got, you know, emergency funds, and then I was like, well, now it's time to invest. And at the time, this was 2005, they were giving out interest-only loans like candy. And I was like, I'll get one of them. I had good credit. I saved up for closing costs, no down payment needed. So I bought a condo in L.A. with the hope of becoming this real estate guru. I was reading these books, Robert Kiyosaki books, and uh, I was like, oh, this is going to be me. I'm going to get this place. It's going to appreciate. I'll sell it. Then I'll buy two places. I'll appreciate and I'll sell it, and then I'll have myself an apartment complex. Like, I had my plan. So I bought this place for $210,000, interest-only loan. It appreciated within a year. It was appraised for two hundred and ninety dollars in the year, 2006. So I put it on the market. I'm going to make... 80 grand, you know, you know, after you pay for a realtor, it might be 60-ish, right? But th th that's enough to buy two more. So I was like, okay, here we go. Put it on the market. I was going to sell it for 290, uh, but I wasn't getting offers at 290. So my realtor said, why don't, you, why don't you drop it to 270? I was like, no, I ain't dropping it for 270. I want the $80,000. That's do me. So what I did was I took it off the market. And I said, I'm going to wait a year. By then, it'll be up to 330. I'll rent it out in the meantime. So I rented it out. A year goes by. It's 2007 now. Things start to change. It had dropped a little bit. So I was like, oh, man. I guess I'm holding on to this for a little while. So I kept renting it out. I could just wait. I could wait it out. Um, in 2009, I felt called to, to come back and help start a, a church up in, up in Monmouth County. Um, and it was like as soon as I set foot on New Jersey soil, my tenants were like, well, we ain't paying no more. They stopped paying rent. I was calling my friends to go knock on their door and try to get, you know, find out what's going on. Did they die? Or like, what happened? Um, couldn't reach them. Uh, eventually, I had to go through the eviction process. The eviction process, especially in California, is, is not very uh, helpful to uh, homeowners. It's favorable to the tenants. So uh, it was a, like a four to six month process of basically paying their rent, Right? Not getting their rent, paying the mortgage, them getting away with it. Finally, they got out. They trashed the place. Uh, by this point, um, it had drained me. I, I, I couldn't afford to keep it going. I couldn't sell it because it wasn't worth 290 anymore. It wasn't worth 210 anymore. That's what I had bought it for and owed on it. It wasn't worth 150 anymore. It was down to $89,000. 89. So I had to go through a short sale process, and it messed with my credit. And thankfully, it was like a separate like, investment thing. It didn't mess with my personal finances, but it really was a ding to my ego. And it was humbling because I could have sold it for 270 But I was greedy because I wanted to be this real estate guru. I didn't care about stuff, but it was the status. It was being able to say, ah, I was the guy with the cockroaches, and now I made it with an apartment. And I lost out with my greed. Jesus says, beware of all kinds of greed. We think it's always those people over there. And it's insidious and it gets in our hearts. 
and it gets us. Every kind of greed we must be on guard against. Rich people in here, beware of greed. Poor people in here, beware of greed. Beware of greed. We don't know what kind of greed this man in particular was guilty of, what he was really after, what his real motivation was, but either way, I'm sure he justified it like we all justify it. I, am, I owed it. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I deserve it. I, I, it's, it's injustice. This is, this, is, this is a matter of justice. God must care about justice. Right? We, we justify things in our heads so easily. And unfortunately, at least it seems unfortunate, that God seems to allow us to go through times where people get away with cheating us financially. Or we, God allows us to go through times where we don't get what we think we deserve. I mean, that, that real estate situation for me was just one example. I've had employers not pay me for my last paycheck. Uh, I mean, I've had things where people just have owed me money, and it's like, God, why? Why do you allow this to, to happen? I'm not somebody who can afford to go through this. But fortunately for us, God uses all those things for his glory to free us more and more and more from the danger of greed. That's what he's always after. He's always after taking us to another level of freedom. Nothing that happens to us, and therefore nothing that happens to our finances, if we belong to Jesus, there's nothing that happens to us that doesn't get redeemed by him for his glory and our ultimate good. Our ultimate good being to mold us more and more into the image of Jesus. I thought the ultimate good for me was this real estate guru. It wasn't. It was to be more like Jesus. That's his, always what he's up to. It's always what he's up to. He wants us free. One of the things that we tell our kids all the time, constantly saying to it, life ain't fair and we're not going to try to make it fair for you. Because they're always saying, but it's not fair. But it's not fair. And I'm like, why don't you guys get it? Don't you remember what we tell you all the time? It ain't going to be fair. It ain't going to be fair. Why doesn't it sink in for them? Because it doesn't sink in for us. Because we're saying the same thing to God. God, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And God's like, I want you to be free from the need for things to be fair. Who's more free? The person who's a smoker and needs to have two packs a day and can afford it? Or the person who's a smoker but says, you know what? I'm going to stop cold turkey and is completely free from it. Who's more free? The second one, right? We can agree on that? Yeah. The person who can say, all right, I didn't get what's fair, but that's okay. I mean, the few fleeting moments that my kids, one of my kids can say, oh, my sister's got that, but that's okay. I'm okay. Those moments are few and far between. But when they happen, it's like gold. It's, it's like a, a shooting star. It's like, man, why can't you guys keep that posture? Because that will keep you free for the rest of your life if you can be content when things don't always seem. Now, that doesn't mean we don't ask for, hey, I, I asked for my last pair. This, this guy I worked for, I was thinking about this morning. Um, I, I worked for, he was, he was a private gym owner. I was a trainer for him. And like, he just didn't pay me my, like one paycheck. I was like, dude, where's my paycheck? Oh, I'll get it to you, I'll get it to you. And like two more weeks went by and finally I was like, dude, I can't work for you anymore. I asked for it. I had to keep asking for it. I never got it. 
But I could have become obsessed with it and bitter about it, and that would have been a hold on me, and I had to eventually let it go. So it's not that we don't ask for things, and we don't, it's not that we say, well, if my boy doesn't pay me, that's okay. No, we ask, hey, I'm owed this. But there's a point where you can get obsessed with and entangled with it. And that's why it's so insidious, because it's hard to know where that line is, right? Right? It's hard to know when you've drifted from, well, I've got to be responsible and ask for my last paycheck into, I'm a little obsessed with this. I mean, I was, I was stalking this guy eventually. I kept showing up. I was like, dude, I ain't leaving you alone. I'm going to burn this gym down if you don't pay me. <laughs> and I eventually had a friend who said, Chris, you got to let go. I was like, I, I didn't actually say that. I thought that. I, I, I had plans for him. <laughs> All right. Um, Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So, so, so we're going to finish the passage. Basically, Jesus has said financial entitlement is a worldly addiction. I want you free from that. I don't want you to be content when you don't get what you want. He wants that for us. What we think we're entitled to. He, he wants us free from having things to work out perfectly with our money. Then he continues with a parable. He told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. So he's worried that he has too much stuff. And money, right? What do I do with all this wealth? So he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. So he, he thinks the solution is to put them in the savings, right? I know. I'll, put, I'll, di I'll diversify and I'll get my 401k and I'll build it up. And I'll sit back and say to myself, look at verse 19. My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this is the life that there's a part of us we all want, isn't it? I mean, that's, isn't that financial freedom? Isn't that what we want? We got this enough stored up, enough in our savings. I don't have to work anymore. I'll sit back. I'll play golf all day. I'll hang out with my friends and family members, host parties, eat, drink, and be merry. This is the life. This is the American dream. It's the American dream. And when we see people who have accomplished this, don't we say, I want to learn from him? Don't we say that? I want to learn. I want to learn what they're doing. How'd you get there? How'd you get there? And what does Jesus say? <clears throat> but God said to him, you fool. You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? So the people that we sometimes look up to and go, I want to be like that. Whose books we read, like I was reading in my 20s going, I can do that. God says, they're fools. If, he continues, a, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich, rich relationship with God. That's the point. It's not, it's not wrong to have savings accounts and 401ks, right? It's not wrong to have that. Be responsible. We had financial peace yesterday and, and talk about that. However, there is a point where when we're so obsessed with and focused on building up wealth, Keeping up with the Joneses, um, making sure we're getting what we're entitled to, making sure that we're going to have the easy, comfortable life later on. When we're so obsessed with that, at the expense of investing in God's kingdom with our finances, giving to God's kingdom and God's work and God's glory, there's a point where God says, no, 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 you're being foolish, not responsible. You're being careless, not responsible, because you're going to die 
And then for the rest of eternity, what do you have to show for it? Instead, when you invest in my kingdom, then for all eternity, you get to see what your investment yielded. He says, be a wise investor. Be rich towards God. That's the only place in the Bible that 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 phrase is used. Rich towards God. It's uh, investing in the the, the coming or the the, the verses that follow, which we're not getting into, to show It's, it's about using our money for God's purposes and trusting him to provide for us. So it's good to save up. It's good to be responsible, but there is a point There's a point. So now I just want to end. I just want to end with just going through how do we know when our money has become too important? Just the last couple of minutes. Um, I could could probably share 10 to 20 things, and you could probably come up with more. I'm just going to share five, five things. How do we know when it's become too important? How do we know when greed has uh, uh, started to make its way into the, the home of our soul? started to set up shops, started to sleep on the couch. How do we know? Here, here's just a few indicators. Um, number one, when you can't forgive someone who owes you money. Anybody ever have somebody borrow money? They say they'll pay you back, and they didn't pay you back? Only some of us. Okay. You ask for money back. Hey, you owe me. Can you pay me back? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. My dad did teach me, though. He said, don't ever let a friend or family member borrow money that you're not prepared to lose. Of course, it might be different if it's a formal business transaction and whatnot. But, um, you know, don't let them borrow money that you're not prepared to lose uh, because otherwise you will lose the relationship. Um, So you ask for it back. But at some point, if they don't pay you back, because I've had people not pay back, what do you do? Do you get obsessed with it? Do you, every time you think about them, do you bring to mind, oh, they owe me money. I can't believe it. They're getting away with it. Well, can you let it go? Can you forgive? If you can't forgive, if you haven't been able to let it go, that's a pretty sure sign that greed has made its way and got your heart a little bit. Got a piece of you. He's, ch- he's got your leg like a shark's got a surfer's leg. He's got you. You got to shake him off. Shake him off. Because otherwise, what does it say? If you can't forgive someone who owes you money, even if it's 50 grand, this is 50 grand. That's a lot of money. But if God can forgive you your sins, which are infinitely more offensive to God, a holy God, than a measly 50 grand is, what are you saying? Right? It's like us saying, well, God, of course he forgives me, and he's so good, and yeah, my sins. I'm not perfect, but whatever. But this guy owes me 50 grand. What are we saying? That money weighs heavier on our scales than our own sin does. Right? It's a sign of greed. Second, second one, making and keeping money is what dictates all our decisions. Here's a hypothetical situation. It is not based on anybody's situation in here, okay, or inspired by or anything like that. So don't, please don't think I'm talking about anybody here. But let's say there's a 30-year-old living with their parents, and living with their parents is a strain on the relationship, and they're always complaining to their friends, oh, I can't take it, it's so toxic in there, and I just can't stand living with them, and yada, yada. And their friends are like, well, why don't you move out? Oh, no, 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 it's cheap rent, I'm saving up, I'm saving up for you know, whatever I'm saving up for. And the friends are like, yeah, but it's so toxic, why don't you move out? No, 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 I got to save up money, it's responsible. Is it responsible to, to put such strain on a relationship with your parents versus growing up and moving out and getting your own place? What's the right thing to do? Protect the relationship with the parents and move the heck out and get your own place. But when all our decisions are dictated by what's going to get me more money, what's going to save me more money, 
Number three, you assume that because the new job offers you more money, it must be God's will. Just because of that one factor. That's not always the case. What's going to be the cost to your marriage, to your family? What's going to be the cost to your church community? What's going to be the cost to uh, where you live? Do you have to uproot your family and move somewhere else? Don't assume. I remember hearing a pastor say, uh, telling folks, we should ask God, where am I called to reach people for you? And then determine, how do I make money to support that? Versus what we tend to do in America, what's going to make me the most money... And then I'll try to serve God around that. Right? And last thing, last thing I'll throw out there, last little indicator. Wait, that was three, right? That was three. So two more. Um, the last two messages we did on this series on giving, mine and Pastor Rigo's, if you assumed that it can't be for you because of your particular situation, like I did when I was 19, going, eh, it's not for me, it's for richer people, it's for older people. If you assume that you're too young for it, or you assume that your situation is just so unique, I'd challenge that. That's greed often talking, justifying. No, 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 you protect. You go into self-protection mode. That's not for you, that's not for you, that's not for you right now. And then the last one, last one, last one, last one. If you get triggered every time a church talks about money. Now listen. There are some churches that talk too darn much about money. If you've been here longer than three years, I don't think you could say with any degree of integrity that that's us. You could say the opposite. We don't talk enough about it. We don't disciple enough in it. That's been the case. But to say that we talk too much, that ain't the case. That ain't us. And if we just point blank say, well, the churches, they talk about money. I just tune them out. That's usually an excuse and a disguise. I feel threatened because my money is so darn important to me. And I don't want anybody getting in. That's usually a sign. So, if any of those stand out to you, maybe write that down on these connect cards. Again, anonymously. It's like, all right, Lord, yeah, I'm greedy for blank stuff, status of wealth, whatever it is. I'm too worried about blank. Write it down, write it down. We're going to have some response time. Maybe it's something else from this series. Maybe there's something else that stood out to you about Pastor Rigo's sermon on generosity. Maybe there's something else that popped out to you. Maybe there's something that was talked about yesterday at the financial peace class. And like, yeah, I got to act on this. I got to write that. I, I, I got some things that stood out to me in the last couple of weeks. But to help us, to help us with this, I got two testimonies that we're going to hear from. Two people in our church. They're both short. And then the band's going to come up. So the first one's going to be Justin Garden. Now these, these two testimonies, one is, like I said earlier, one is... Younger one is older. One is to send the message that, hey, it's not too early for God to come in. Teenagers and young people, let God mess with you a little bit in this area. And the other one is, you're never too far gone and your situation is never too far lost for God to do a work in it. So Justin, here you go, sir. Sweet, thank you. Thank you for talking about money. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, so just some quick background. Uh, my name is Justin Garden. I'm the youth uh, director here at True Life Church. Um, growing up for me, and I think it's important that I give you this baseline so you know where God has moved, uh, the motto in our house was never actually said, but it was something that I saw and observed. It was make money, spend money. There was no intentionality behind anything. It was the money that, that was made was used for whatever we wanted it for. 
Um, there was no talk about savings. There was no stewardship in that area. And uh, fast forward to, to this point in my life, on, on that side of the family, my family's gone through bankruptcy, um, foreclosures on, on multiple levels, and that's been a part of my story within my family. Um, and why I share that with you is because that translated then into my life. I did nothing intentional as I was getting older. When Jesus got on my hold of, a hold of my heart about 10 years ago, um, it was, yeah, you're, God, you're Lord of everything. Like, I want to give you everything. Um, and then in practical application, that actually begun to look differently uh, over the next 10 years. It was little compartments that I realized I was keeping kind of to myself and, and still behaving in ways in which were familiar and comfortable to me. One of them being specifically money. Money, that was an area. I, I looked up the definition of greed since we've been going through it. This is a Google definition, and it, it talked... Actually, it's not up anymore. But it talked about this intense desire basically from a selfish perspective, okay? So that, that was me in a nutshell. I mean, I, I identified so much this morning with, with what Pastor Chris was talking about. And another thing that my family did a lot too, and I'm not even saying this principle is altogether bad, but there was just random uh, generosity in my upbringing. It wasn't, it, it was spontaneous all the time. It was very generous but again, I think that really hurt my family. There was no wisdom um, behind it. It was just, we're going to give money, and, and it's going to be on our terms and not led by the Holy Spirit. So more recently, what God has been doing, uh, my wife and I, we grew up in different homes. We, we got involved in financial peace. But even before that, over the last few months, God has been speaking to us. We were doing auto pay for tithing. That's something that we stopped doing because personally for me, I had put a number in there that I was like, you know what, we'll do at least this with the intention to do more. And what it had become was I just didn't think about it. It was the least. And that's not what I want to give God. That's not what I feel that he's calling me to. Um, and then more so for me personally, my wife's much better with money. She grew up in a home where money was talked about, where it, there was discipleship around it. So in a lot of ways, I learned from my wife uh, and her family, and it, and it blesses me. Um, so confession, I'm the spender. And I've had to say no a lot um, because, like I said, growing up for me was you make money, you spend money. So over the last six months to a year since we've been talking about it as a pastoral team and, and now we're talking about it as a church, it's been more so the little things that have been adding up for me in the bigger things in the, in the financial department. Uh, if I have a desire to go out for coffee to Dunkin' Donuts, no, I got coffee at home. If, I want to go grab food after work because it's just easier and quicker. I don't have to make something. No, I have food at home. You know, exercising this no, this self-control, this discipline. And it's, it's enabled us to uh, give more consistently. Um, and as far as uh, being gracious, gracious and generous, um, one of the messages that really hit me over the course of the last, uh, this past series was when Pastor Rigo was sharing about how God is generous. And it really pierced my heart. And, and my wife and I, we've been looking for opportunities and asking God, like, well, where can we give? In addition to giving to the church, where can we give? And he's been faithful to show us ways. So, again, I don't, I don't want anybody here to think that those little things don't matter. The no's for me have been huge. The no's to, to the desires that I want that aren't really bad things. Cup of coffee here, sandwich over here, it adds up. Um, 
But with saying no to those things, I've been able to keep that money in the house and to be more generous with it to the glory of God. So that's how he's been working in my life most recently. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. And then next is Dave Glenn. Dave uh, co-leads a life group with Jim McCarthy for men. He's also one of my uncles. <laughs> if you haven't already figured out, I'm the younger. Uh, Justin was the older. <laughs> In case you didn't figure that. So after hearing Chris's messages on finances, I approached him a couple of weeks ago and offered to help. I said, how, how can I help follow up with people uh, who need to figure out a plan? And in the process of telling him, I mentioned that I too had been in severe financial misery about 10 years ago and had repaid over $100,000 in debt, but was now in much better financial condition. I think I got his attention. And then I realized I had never told anybody except my wife. No one else knew. So I'm telling all of you. So this is a very vulnerable moment for me. Uh, Camille's testimony last week gave me a lot of courage. Uh, she shared a lot. So I'm going to share some really personal, you know, details. So uh, this isn't easy here. <laughs> but... Um, so Chris asked me if I would share my story with others. So it is a little embarrassing, but um, I'm going to tell you my story. It's a 20-year story, which I'm going to tell you in five minutes. So I'm going to talk fast. Um, <laughs> 20 years ago, uh, I was in a vice president position, the best job I'd ever had in my life. And uh, I walked into the president's office just after New Year's of 2003, and he told me, they were eliminating my position, and that today was my last day, and to get your stuff, and you know, we'll see you. And we'll give you a month's severance, but um, you know, have a nice life. So, um, no, uh, needless to say, I was very shocked at the moment. Um, so I was immediately unemployed, and um, my wife had homeschooled our children, so she wasn't working, so I was the sole support of our family. Um, my bank had offered me a um, home equity line of credit just a week earlier. I said, I better take advantage of that just in case. So I, I signed up for it. And I had credit card balances, but not too bad, you know, but I did have balances. I turned out, I thought, well, I'll probably get a job in one to three months. I wound up being unemployed for 10 months. Uh, 200 resumes, 13 job interviews that were really serious where I was considered and didn't get the job. But for, and um, so I had put out money. Uh, I was collecting unemployment, but unemployment wasn't anywhere near it is today. Uh, 20 years ago, it was much less. And uh, I didn't have a lot in the bank. So, um, so we started to slip into debt. And, uh, but I did get a job after 10 months, but that job was for much less uh, than I had been earning previously. So uh, again, fast forward over the next seven years, I had to add an additional $50,000 of debt uh, due to that shortfall and to pay for uh, some educational expenses for one of my children. So I want you to know this wasn't like I bought a boat or something or um, you know, had a, a gambling problem or something like that. These, these were regular expenses, you know, the normal expenses. So I decided to get a second job evenings. Um, 
A friend of mine had a dollar store, so I was a dollar store manager at night, which at my age, then, even then, uh, was a very physically taxing job, a lot of manual labor, and I was treated quite rudely by the customers. And I felt like saying, you don't know what my day job is, you know, you wouldn't be insulting me, but God taught me a lot of humility uh, during that time. Then uh, we encountered a very severe crisis in our family that required me to put out a lot of funds for uh, legal expenses. So that threw us into a kind of a debt spiral uh, of debt. And my debt grew at that point uh, to $100,000. My credit cards were maxed out. I was making minimal payments and making no progress. You know, you watch the commercials and they say, if you make the minimum payments, you'll pay off your debt in 47 years, right? And that's so true. Um, and I was in seemingly a hopeless situation. Um, and by the way, I'm really good in math. I'm, I'm good with adding numbers. So I figured it out that I was in a very hopeless situation and that only God's help uh, could get me through. I knew some relatives had filed for bankruptcy. And I said, well, that, you know, that may be an option. But I refused to do that. I said, this is my responsibility, my expenses. And I didn't want to uh, do that. So bankruptcy was off the table uh, as far as a solution. I, so I contacted a federal debt consolidation program. We came up with a plan. Figured out I could pay that debt off in five years. So uh, fast forward to, to now, today, and I did, by the way. Uh, today my credit score is in the 800s. 90% uh, of my retirement savings have been accumulated over the past seven years. And now I even have resources to give to others, including my children, uh, helping them. <laughs> so the bottom line is, with determination, hard work, and God's grace, you can pull out of that death spiral. And I'm living proof of that. So uh, I just want to leave you with just a couple things. Number one, it is possible for anyone to get into financial trouble, and sometimes it can be gradual, not sudden. There's no easy, quick solutions. There's no magic. You know, don't go out and buy lottery tickets and say, Lord, please make these work. It's hard work. <laughs> you must involve your spouse if you're married. Your spouse has to be uh, in on everything. And you must stay the course. If you have a plan, you have to stay the course or you will fail. And you can come out on the other end way better and even be able to help others. Um, and you're never alone. God is always there, and there are people and solutions that can get you out of financial ruin. So uh, I just want to encourage you, whoever may be struggling today, you can find answers. And I believe God brought me through this so that I could uh, tell my story and uh, encourage others. So uh, if you need help, get it. And uh, I guess that's all I'll say. Thank you. Thanks, Uncle Dave. <clears throat> I heard a pastor once say, our job is to um, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. I don't necessarily like the word afflict, but maybe poke at the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And so, you know, Justin's story's kind of poked at the comfortable, right? 
Um, I got I to gotta, I challenge us. I got to relook at things and, and Dave's story more. Hey, comfort those who are in that despair, who are in that place of, how the heck am I ever going to get out of this? God, God can do it. God can do it. So, Ben, why don't you come on up here? And so as, as, we, as we close, as we spend some time just uh, finishing our service together, it's, it's a response time. It's a chance to respond to this whole series, to, to, this, to this focus on uh, God and our money, our money that belongs to God. And so um, take a Connect card. If you need a pen, you can put your hand up. Ushers can put them in your hand. But at any point, while the band, they're going to sing over us first. They're just going to sing over us to help us think, help us process, help us pray. And just write down one thing. Because here, again, I pray over every individual card. Pastor Riga will pray over them at the end of service, whichever ones get put in the, there's baskets on each side of the stage. You can just come down while the band is playing, drop it in. But just ask God, God, what is it for me? What's one thing? What's two things? Is it little? Is it big? Is it, I need to forgive somebody who owes me money, whatever it is. One or two action steps. Thank you.